Hello everyone, welcome to our weekly broadcast. So, as per usual, we'll start with a little bit of guided meditation. Might be useful for people who are new to this tradition. For everybody else, it's a chance to do a short meditation together. You're welcome to post questions in the chat. You're welcome to post anything mindful, anything wholesome in the chat that you like. Once the question and answer period starts, then we'll ask that you only post questions in the chat. But for now, if you don't have a question, you can just close your eyes. And start by focusing on the stomach. Just watch when the stomach rises and falls, and when it rises, say to yourself, rising, falling. We use a word like a mantra to keep our minds focused on the actual experience rather than our interpretation or judgment of it. So when we say to ourselves, rising, the mind focuses only on the experience. Its understanding of the experience is rising. That's all it is. So this preempts any reaction or judgment or extrapolation. We don't get triggered by the experiences. Rising is just rising, and when it falls, falling. It's just a simple exercise to start to cultivate this skill of seeing clearly. We're not trying to control the breath. If you notice that you are controlling it, you should make note of that as well. If it feels tense or 
uncomfortable, you can say to yourself, tense, tense. And then once you once you're able to note the rising and the falling of the abdomen, and you can start to notice other parts of your experience. If you feel any pain, you can note the pain, just focus on the pain and say to yourself, pain. Until it goes away, just stay with it. Again, we're not trying to make the pain go away or fix it. We're just trying to get a better relationship with it so that we see pain as just pain. This prevents us from getting upset or dis disturbed by it. you feel happy or calm, you can note that as well. Just try and keep yourself objective so you don't get attached to it. Say to yourself, happy, happy. If you feel calm, say calm, calm, calm. And once the feeling's gone, just go back to the stomach and continue with the rising and falling. Another 
common experience will be thinking about thinking about the past or future good thoughts bad thoughts all sorts of different kind of thought but whether it's past or future good or bad thoughts are really just thoughts so we, again we try to focus on the actual experience and just remind ourselves thinking thinking doesn't matter whether it's past or future, good or bad. The thought, thinking is just thinking. And this helps us avoid getting caught up in our thoughts, overwhelmed by our thoughts, consumed by them, and suffering from them, tortured by them. Thinking is just thinking. You can see the thought or come and go and stay present, stay here, now. We're not trying to stop ourselves from thinking. The goal isn't to not think. Thinking is a part of life, a part of its then nature of the mind. What we're really trying for is clarity of thought, so that our thoughts are just thoughts, with no judgment or reaction or obsession. Next we have our states of mind, qualities of mind. This includes emotions, and just general states, mental states, liking, disliking. So whatever you experience, you might like it or you might dislike it. You might think of something and then you want it or you feel frustration or anger, 
boredom, fear, sadness, depression. So you can just note these, just like anything else, try and see them as they are without reacting to them. Because when you react to your reactions, it becomes a feedback loop where it gets worse and stronger, more overwhelming and consuming. So if you like something, just say liking, liking. If you dislike something, disliking, disliking. And you can note wanting or yeah, boredom, frustration, anger, sadness. Just note whatever it is. And when it's gone, just go back to the rising, falling. You might feel drowsy or tired, or you might feel anxious or restless, worried. You can note these as well, tired, tired, or restless, restless, anxious, worried. You have doubt or confusion, doubt about yourself or what you're doing, or confusion about something or other. No doubting or confused. Basically, whatever state your mind is in, note that state and then go back to the rising, falling. And finally, we can be mindful of our senses, so seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling. As you sit in meditation, you will experience many of these, and outside of meditation in your daily life as well. When you see something, even with your eyes closed, you might see lights or colors, you might see pictures, images, movies. And just say to yourself, seeing, seeing, until it goes away. If you hear sounds outside or in your mind, hearing, hearing. If you smell or taste or feel, say smelling, smelling or tasting, tasting, feeling, feeling. If you feel something on the body. Basically, in summary, you can note any experience, just find a word for it and remind yourself, hey, that's, that's that, so that your mind 
sees it for what it is rather than judging it or reacting to it or extrapolating upon it. All right, so you can continue to sit mindfully, but if you haven't posted a question and you have a question, now is the time you can post your questions. And from here on, I'll ask that anything in the chat be only questions. Anything that's not a question will be removed without prejudice. And we'll start to answer the questions as they're asked. Uh, we separate, we organize the questions into tiers. So the top tier questions are those that need an answer, where an answer is going to really help the person and is somehow related to their meditation practice. And beyond that, we organize questions based on their relevance to our practice. So I'm ready when you are. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. Do you have advice on letting go of striving for relief when painful sensations arise? Well, the only reason you'd strive for relief is when you've judged the painful sensation as bad, as um, antagonistic, right? Because relief is already a, a judgment. It's already caught up in judgment. You don't need relief from something unless that thing is stressing you out. So the relief is to change the way you look at the painful sensations. Um, we don't we don't let go. You see that letting go isn't something I can advise you on. Letting go comes from seeing that it's not worth clinging to, or that clinging is what causes stress and suffering. So the only solution is seeing clearly and mindfulness helps you to see clearly when you focus on the pain just as pain and try to be as objective confrontational i mean facing it not confrontational but facing the pain rather than shying away or trying to escape or trying to remove it or something when you're able to just see the pain as pain uh, then the letting go happens by itself there's no clinging. Uh, 
I've been suffering from a debilitating anxiety and depression, especially recently. What would you recommend I do during practice and beyond to get better? Well, you you may want to look at the fact that you think it's debilitating. I mean, I'm not questioning that, but um, just questioning that you might have some uh, judgment about it on top of it. You see, anxiety and depression are already judgmental states. They're already reactionary states. But then you can be um, upset about the fact that you have anxiety and depression or worried about it. So you have to note that as well. On top of the anxiety and depression, you feel more depressed because you're depressed, right? I have debilitating depression is a very depressing sort of thing. I have debilitating anxiety is a very uh, anxiety-inducing statement. So try and look at those statements as well, those judgments. Um, because the the ultimate reality, and this isn't to trivialize your situation, but the ultimate reality is that anxiety and depression are not debilitating. The debilitation comes when you react or you you engage with even anxiety and depression unmindfully. Uh, so really, I mean, the answer as always is to learn the skill of being mindful, both about the anxiety and depression and about your your perception of them themselves, which perpetuates the anxiety and depression. So try and look at how you judge them and try and rather than um, creating a narrative that I have, like like I've been suffering, be careful that it, it often becomes a narrative where we think of ourselves as suffering from something instead of just saying anxiety has arisen now. Because when anxiety arises now, it's not actually a problem. It's an experience and it's momentary. But because we perpetuate it and we, we feed it, it gets stronger and stronger and reoccurring. And because of our unmindfulness, we're completely unable to cope and that's the what causes the debilitation. So try and just see anxiety as a momentary thing that keeps coming again and again, and just try and stay with it whenever you can, saying anxious, anxious. I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate, but a great way to start is to read the booklet and think about doing an at-home course. We have uh, these at-home courses where you just practice uh, every day, and we meet once a week, and you can go through a course of practice. It's all free, so feel free to uh, take a look at that. You often recommend to meditate in Dhamma talks by noting hearing, but in this way I can't actually grasp the teaching. Why do you recommend it in Dhamma talks instead of understanding the instructions? Well, if you can't understand the instructions, you might be... There might be something beyond hearing that you have to note. Maybe there's a, a quality of mind that's keeping you. Because hearing shouldn't prevent that. You can note hearing and, and also comprehend uh, the, the talk. But, I mean, another, another aspect of that is that when you note hearing, you're already following the teachings. Um, but I think it's a bit of a mistake to think that you can't do both. You can note hearing, and you can note intermittently. Uh, note hearing to keep yourself present and also uh, understand what's being said. The mind is very quick. Um, 
You can even note all the reactions you have to the talk. But you might have a reaction to this idea, if you think that hearing is going to be a problem, then it will be a problem. It'll get in your way because you have some mental state that's blocking, that's worrying, or that sort of thing, stressing about it. Is it better to observe the respiration or do the rising falling? Well, watching rising falling is respiration. But the thing is that respiration is just a concept. It's a concept in the sense that you don't directly experience it. What you experience we call respiration, but it's actually a feeling of, for example, the expanding and the tensing and the relaxing of the stomach. So there's a feeling of tension that in English we call rising and the, the release of tension that we call falling. But those are just names for the tension. Respiration is, is not the actual experience. So if you're focused on respiration, technically it's a conceptual object, which isn't bad. It's just not um, productive of seeing clearly, seeing reality clearly because it's conceptual. It just makes you very calm. So rising, falling is a type of what you might call mindfulness of respiration that does allow you to see clearly because it's focused on the actual experience. How can I motivate and remind myself to meditate daily? I often just procrastinate, noticing a day later, and motivation declines. I still want to integrate meditation into my day. Well, procrastination is something you can pay attention to. Look at the quality of mind, because procrastination isn't a reality. We call it procrastination, but there's some quality of mind that is averse to doing whatever it is that you feel like you should do, or that sort of thing. And some, somehow averse to the meditation, or there's a desire for something else. The best way to get started is to do a course, do the at-home course, come and do an intensive course, uh, join a meditation group, that sort of thing. You really need connection, connection with a teacher, connection with a meditative community. It's those sorts of things that are necessary in order to provide motivation. When I sit, sometimes wanting to stop meditating stays very long. It can stay the whole hour. It becomes a kind of suffering. What should I do? Well, wanting to stop meditating isn't probably the only thing that's going on in your mind. and. You call it wanting to stop, but there's probably an aversion, a disliking. And disliking is very unpleasant, so a lot of suffering. So note the disliking, note anxiety or restlessness or whatever it might be. 
wanting to stop meditating isn't something that lasts more than a moment, but there may be other aspects of it that you're not noting that makes you think that uh, it's this entity that's staying throughout the practice. As you progress in the practice, you'll be able to break this into pieces and see the momentary realities for what they are. Like there'll be thoughts, there'll be emotions, there'll be physical experiences. Please clarify the differences among concentration, meditation, and mindfulness. In meditation, I have concentration on the risings and fallings too. Well, concentration is a quality of mind that is able to stick to a single object. Um, meditation is any kind of, we would say, wholesome mental training. And mindfulness is the quality of being able to grasp an object for what it is. To have a strong perception of the object that doesn't waver or... Um, trigger reactions and so on, the, the grasping of the object just as it is. So in mindfulness meditation, of course it is meditation and there is concentration. I'm trying to listen to someone, noting hearing. There are inevitable gaps between sounds. Do I switch to another object, or do I continue to note hearing in the absence of sound? Right, so hearing is only something that's intermittent, and you're seeing the impermanence of it. Normally we think when someone's talking, they're talking continuously. But the experience is not anything continuous, it's just momentary, and there are other experiences as well. So you wouldn't so that's what noting hearing when someone's talking can do for you. It helps you to see the, the, the reality of it. That hearing is just a momentary thing. That that's the reality is hearing. Um you, you can note all the other experiences as well, of course. Now, I guess I would say that to some extent the the noting practice does change your perception of things. So you may at times be uh, removed from the conceptual reality of whatever the person is is trying to get across while you're saying hearing, but it's not true that you won't get anything from, from what they're saying. I mean, it, sometimes maybe you will, sometimes you won't. Just the same as with anything. We don't listen to everything someone says when, when they're talking to us. 
but noting hearing isn't uh, isn't a cause for not being present I mean it keeps you present with the experience so you will be able to perceive what the person is saying and as well as be able to perceive other things so as you can see you might be sitting and listening and feel pain and as well and note that you might feel calm or happy liking or disliking doubting what the person is saying or judging it that sort of thing all of those things might arise the problem if 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 you are just focused on gaining information it's not really the best use of your time it's not the best way to engage with a meditation discourse because at that moment you're you're not focused on your actual experiences right and if doubt does arise or liking or disliking does arise if pain does arise you won't be in a position to be mindful of it which is very important for the proper understanding of the talk Many times when I'm meditating, I fall asleep, but I continue meditating. I have some dreams, but I'm almost always aware during them. Almost aware during them. Is it good or bad? Should I try not to sleep like that? I, mean, I wouldn't encourage it. If you fall asleep meditating, that's not the end of the world, but you might want to sometimes, in some to some extent, uh, be... be aware of your tendency to fall asleep and try to note when you're tired sometimes you just can't avoid it especially if you're working all day and then you try to come home and meditate well get what you can but do try to note when you're tired and you should find you can clear up some of your drowsiness some of your lethargy We don't judge things as good or bad if you fall asleep and when you wake up, start meditating again. After two years of vipassana, it has become harder for me to meditate. I am tired from it and have little aversion towards the practice. I did about two hours a day. What should I do? Should I do less than two hours? Well, you should note the fatigue and the aversion. There's no reason to do less just because you're averse to it. Um, I mean, again, it might help if you're in contact with a community or a teacher directly. And do what you can. I can't help make it easier for you. Everybody has to find their own way. I can provide you with the instruction, but you yourself have to walk. What's the difference between doing things concentratively and mindfully? Well, nothing. If you're being mindfully, you're also being concentrated. 
but it's possible to be concentrated in 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 ways that well see mindfulness depends on the object i mean honestly there isn't technically much difference because you can't really be concentrated unless you're also mindful and i suppose vice versa though um it's hard to answer this question because it's you know technically you never do things concentratively or mindfully. Concentration and mindfulness are qualities of mind. So they're qualities of an experience. Doing things is just a concept. When you say a person does things. So if we're talking conceptually about a person doing things and not talking about moments of experience that arise and cease, then it certainly is possible to do things unmindfully but concentrated if you focus on killing someone or if you focus on kill on stealing or if you're very focused on indulging in sensuality then there's no mindfulness there but you might say there are moments of concentration but that concentration is is fleeting and unstable so mindfulness leads to a concentrating concentration that is stable and lasting because it's not fraught with distortion and and distraction and restlessness and delusion and all that so i think if people focus on concentration they're liable they're quite in danger of becoming unconcentrated because it's not founded on a good base but if you found your practice on mindfulness then the concentration that comes is it has a stable base there's nothing underneath that's going to explode or going to erupt because it's based on clarity and simplicity of mind purity of mind Is sati like a guard at sense doors to see what to let in and what not to let in? Sort of, yes. I mean, that's almost exactly how the commentary describes it. You've probably gotten this question from something you read from somewhere. I'm assuming you didn't. Unless you just came up with this yourself, which is pretty incredible. Um, I'm not saying it's not possible. It's just probably you read that somewhere. Uh, but to see what to let in isn't maybe exactly it. It's more like to prevent. Um, it's not about deciding so much as just being there as a means of preventing bad people from coming in. Like you don't sit there and decide what to let in and what not to let in. It's more like it's more like kind of like a filter. The only thing that can get into the mind is experience the defilements can't arise in the mind because the mind is guard the mindfulness is guarding it and it's not a, it's not the act you don't practice guarding it's just how it manifests when you're mindful the mind is guarded by virtue of being mindful In daily life, I'm more able to practice, for example, lifting, 
placing, etc., but I don't know why I expected this to be more mystical or revelating. Is really lifting just lifting what we see? Oh, well, you'll start to see how you create problems for yourself based on things like lifting, based on experiences like lifting, placing, or like anything. Um, so there's nothing special about the fact that your foot is lifting or placing. There's something special about the quality of mind that is able to be present. And if you cultivate that regularly, your mind quality, quality of mind will change so that things that do matter uh, will will fail to evoke unwholesome, problematic s states that are conducive to stress and suffering. It's kind of like if you know that old old movie, The Karate Kid. I bring this up. I've talked about this before. He teaches that this old Japanese man teaches this young American boy. Uh, wax on, wax off on his cars. And he gets really upset. He says, why am I just doing this wax on, wax off? And then he asks him to demonstrate. And if it turns out he's been studying karate. So he's a martial arts master because of doing this. I mean, the, the point of the that part of the movie is that uh, there's nothing special about the, the movements that you do repeatedly. But physically, you become uh, skillful making movements that are helpful and so that's what's going on here except mentally so when you say lifting placing there's nothing you're not seeing anything special in the foot not precisely though to be honest that is enough to become enlightened because the quality of the mind can become very pure from watching the foot or watching the stomach but more practically it, it just becomes a skill that you have so that you're no longer reacting to things and your general state of mind is more clear and more pure. And when that develops, that allows the mind to let go. Your, your perspective on reality shifts from clinging, from chasing, from identifying to letting go and flying free. Are there any dangers associated with meditation? Well, there are many different kinds of meditation. And so, yes, some meditations can be quite uh, vulnerable to danger. Mindfulness has very little danger associated with it because of how simple and clear and concrete the uh, instructions are. So if you practice according to the way we teach, it's it's not that it's not a boast or something. It's just that because of the simple and direct nature of it, it's very hard to um, give rise to mental problems. If someone has a, a a mental illness, then it's going to perhaps um, well, it's easy to misunderstand the practice and and apply it incorrectly so that's the only danger with mindfulness is that you stop applying it correctly meaning instead of noting what you actually experience you use the mantra to note something you don't experience or something that's not an experience like a concept or something or something you want to experience or so on so 
if you have proper instruction and you follow that proper instruction, there's very little danger. I mean, the thing is, you're, you're talking about training the mind. So, of course, when you start to train the mind, there's danger. There's danger that you'll train it incorrectly. Uh, when a, a new meditator probably shouldn't um, practice too far removed from a teacher. Uh, but again, as I said, the mindfulness is on the low end of what is dangerous because it's very simple and straightforward. The biggest danger is that the person will stop. What is what, what is much more common with mindfulness meditation is the person just stops. If something so and and it's often because something unexpected arises. So maybe something scary arises and they stop, or something very challenging or uncomfortable arises and they stop. That's that's much more common. In fact, they, the, someone once said to me that the real problem. Oh no, it was an old quote. I think it's not even to do with Buddhism. Um, if you're afraid you're going to go crazy, you're not going to go crazy. And it is to some extent true. People who really do have dangers in meditation are those who have no fear. Those who don't have a sense that something might be going wrong and just go with it no matter what. Push ahead no matter what they're doing. And without any reflection that you might be doing it wrong, uh, it's very easy to have problems. Serving alcohol isn't bad, but what if an employer wants an employee to emphasize alcohol to customers? For example, a sale on some type of alcohol. At what point does it become business in intoxicants? Yeah, I would say that's crossed the line. I mean, I think it's a fine line that some people probably would disagree, but I think I've said before that I think there's room to serve alcohol without any kind of uh, coercion, where the person asks for alcohol and you bring them alcohol. I mean, hey, they could want the alcohol for, for their wounds. If they have a, an open wound, it could sterilize the wound. It can cure up acne. No, I don't know, but it's good for makeup. I don't know, something. Um, but as soon as you start to encourage people to drink alcohol in any way, I'd say you've crossed the line, and it's no longer defensible. I mean, it's not the end of the world, it's just something I would try my best to avoid. I mean, personally, I wouldn't do that, even if I wasn't a monk. I have a chronic bloating. Can meditation help, and how? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, meditation does have a, an effect on the body. Sometimes um, qualities of the mind are affecting the state of the body. But that's not the goal of meditation. Meditation is about purifying the mind. The body is ultimately incapable of purification. It's full of all sorts of problems and it's just falling apart. Eventually your body's going to fall apart completely and going to die. That's something unavoidable. So trying to stop that or make the body better uh, is, is not a great way to direct your attention. You should direct your attention on 
seeing the bloating uh, for what it is, seeing the experience for what it is. What do we do when we are in a continuous loop of feeling like doing nothing and feeling even worse due to maybe lack of discipline? Well, not the feelings. <laughs> if you feel like doing nothing, you can still not feeling feeling. And if you feel worse, well, that's not just feeling worse. You have to ask yourself, what is the actual experience? There's a self-hatred that's disliking, or if there's a sadness or depression, note those as well. Is falling in love with someone unwholesome, even if you are in a relationship with them? So falling in love isn't actually an experience. It's uh, This is poetic language. It's common village talk, they would say. It's the talk of, talk of the village. It's not the talk of it's the spiritual talk. So in spiritual terms or, or I'd say religious terms or Buddhist terms, uh, there is an experience of liking, perhaps. There is an experience of pleasure. There are experiences of liking and pleasure. And the pleasure is not unwholesome, but the liking is. So if you like something, you should say to yourself, liking, liking. Or if you want something, wanting, wanting. Is failing to attain stream entry in this life a wasted opportunity? Does progress we make in this current life pass over? The idea of failing to reach Sotapanna greatly affects my practice. Hmm. Well, that's the most important part at the end, is that there's, um, there's something getting in the way of your practice, and that's what you should take as the object of your practice, this worry or fear or desire. Um, so, so better than trying to be reassured that you have no reason to react the way you do. You should take that reaction as the object because that's the sort of thing that allows you to progress when you work through your issues rather than try and solve them. Right? Getting answers to your questions is fine and good, but in the end, it's not about answers to questions. It's about um, getting a better perspective on your experiences. So, but as far as the information goes, no, no moment of medita of mindfulness is a wasted moment. No moment of wholesome meditation of any kind is a wasted moment. It's all a support for your attainment of freedom from suffering, not just in this life, but in all lives to come. There are many cases of people in the Buddha's time who had done some sort of spiritual practice in the past and it supported them to become enlightened quite quickly in the time of the Buddha. So our, our efforts in this life are very important and, and very powerful and very far-reaching 
into the future, which is why the opportunity is so precious. And so, so yes, any any moment that we don't aren't mindful of technically is a wasted opportunity, but it, it doesn't mean uh, the the moments that you did practice were wasted just because you didn't attain sotapanna or something. What is the purpose of observing the points around the body? Is it just to stop getting bored with watching the rising falling, or is there another purpose to it? Well, it's not just about getting bored, it's about becoming more skilled and needing um, more of a challenge. Or not just needing more of a challenge, but providing a higher level of, of training. It, just in the very simple sense of like having to juggle more balls when you're juggling, if you juggle four or five, it trains you that much further. It's a higher level of mental training, just training the skill of flexibility, the skill of presence in order to be able to remember which point you're at and that sort of thing. To be able to see more clearly when you do get distracted because you'll notice that you've lost track of where you were in the sequence. And to provide the meditator with a sense of progress, there is that psychological aspect. But you know, much more is providing the higher level of training, of, of simple mental skill training, as the mind becomes more skilled, just like adding another ball to the juggling mix. How can I handle feelings of unfairness or injustice? I want to simply note on these, but I feel they require action as they directly impact my life. Yeah, action isn't something that we uh, isn't something that we try and and discourage. Um, the, the change that has to come is the reaction, the emotional reactions, the feelings. So there's no feeling of unfairness. There's a feeling of disliking or even anger. Unfairness and injustice are intellectual concepts, are rational concepts. And so you can still see that something is unfair without being emotional, without getting angry about it. And you can still do something about it without anger. You don't actually need the anger. We think we do, and the anger propels us and it really doesn't the anger just makes it messy and it actually cripples you because you lose energy you waste energy on the anger and this is why people get burnt out when they work for justice because they're constantly thwarted and angered by the state of affairs become depressed and so on when something is not right you say it's not right you can act in such a way as to work towards making it right there's lots of good things you can do, but if you're consumed by anger, you become impotent. What does it mean to contemplate internally and externally? Aren't we observing our experiences just internally? Yeah, but some some ways of of perceiving things is external, so conceptual. 
if you look at a dead body, it's still technically mindfulness of the body, it's just external, so it's, it's conceptual. But there's different understandings and explanations of internally and externally. It's just saying in all ways, basically. Different ways. In this practice, you could say it's all internal. It's one way of looking at it. What does noting certain emotions and states do? I mean, technically. You seem to advise that quite a bit, but I'm not sure how this is working. Please, could you explain a bit more? Well, the mind has a, a cause and effect quality to it. So our how we react to things has consequences. This is the nature of karma. The essence of karma is this consequences of our reactions to things or of our, our perspective on things so when you when you remind yourself for example that pain is just pain you change your perspective on it and so instead of uh, allowing for the anger disliking or fear or worry about it to arise uh, the, the the reaction is a pure reaction this is not bad not good this is this and so you break the chain, or the chain changes. And so the result is quite different from if the reaction were, this is bad, this is a problem. So There's much more clarity. You're able to stay focused on the actual experience. Even with things that are not so directly problematic as pain, uh, like thoughts. You know, so if you just remind yourself of thoughts, then you don't get caught up in thoughts. Uh, and lost in thought that allows for the potential for all sorts of problems, liking, disliking, conceit, and arrogance, and uh, identification, and all those things. How to deal with dogmatic Christian parents who want to enforce their views on their adult children and cannot accept that they have different views well, with mindfulness, um, we don't try and change others. You have to um, observe yourself, especially with parents. It's quite often they evoke strong emotions because we lived with them for so long that they're easily able to push our buttons. Uh, so, you know, your solution should not be to change them or fix them or so on. Uh, I mean, asking how to deal with them is a great question. But uh, just make sure it's focused on how you deal, how you re how you react, and so that has much less to do with their nature than it has to do with your nature. Focus on your nature, and you'll find that your relationship with all sorts of people improves, or not, or or they run away, yelling and screaming, which is still fine because then you're free from stress and suffering. It's not up to you to fix everyone else, and you really can't do it. But uh, I found over the years things I never thought possible. My father is practicing meditation, mindfulness meditation, and my mother, well, she's not practicing, but she uh, she helps me organize a course in her neighborhood in Florida every year. So, and she's a very kind person.
So they're very accepting of me now in ways that I don't think they were when I first started. Appreciative even, seeing the benefit of what I do, which is quite good, I think, compared to where we were 20, 22 years ago. Okay, we've asked all the questions we're prepared to ask today. Okay, thank you all. And thank you, Chris and uh, Rahid and Ulu. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Sadhu. Sadhu. <laughs>